All right, well, you can turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to this section called the Olivet Discourse. And the uh, reason it's called the Olivet Discourse is simply because it was taught by our Lord on the Mount of Olives. After they left the Temple Mount, they went down through the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives, and there was just the 13 of them there. And along the way, the disciples began to ponder in their hearts all these things that Jesus just got done telling them about His coming back and, and judgment on Jerusalem. And so they began to formulate some questions, and they began to ask Him, what are the signs of all these things that are going to take place. How do we know this is going to happen? And so this is called the Olivet Discourse. It's actually a sermon by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on his second coming. So you can't get any closer to the truth about the end times than what the Lord taught. A lot of times this section of Scripture gets lost in Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation, all these other prophetic books. But this really contains the Lord's own words concerning his coming. This is part four in the series, Discerning the Times. So some of you may be trying to catch up and you can get the things on the web or the CDs, whatever, however you do that. But I just want to, in a nutshell, uh, just give you an overview of end times uh, survey. We did this last week and I, I just want to kind of rehash it because it's, it's, it's a lot to um, digest. Now remember, we're talking about here in Matthew 24 and 25, a time in the future. And this time in the future is talking to a certain group of people. And we've established that certain group of people to be who? Jews where? In Judea, right? And what was the spiritual condition of those Jews in Judea? They were believers, Right? They were believers in Messiah. They were believers in Christ. And so this portion of Scripture kind of catapults us into the future, the, rep, the uh, tribulation time, when it's specifically talking to Jews who have decided that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one that they persecuted, the one that they um, crucified, is now the one that they adore and they love with all their heart, and they're saved. And what Jesus is telling them is, during that time, he's talking to them specifically. The disciples aren't going to be around during that time. Okay, they, they're long gone. We're not going to be around during that time because of the way the things work out here with the rapture, the taking away of the church. And if you look at the little graph there in your, in your bulletin, you'll see that this whole thing starts basically with the birth of, the death, the crucifixion, and the ascension of Christ. Christ came to earth physically the first time in his incarnation. He put his body here on this earth. That's why we call it the incarnation. It was God in a body. And he lived for 33 some years. He went to the cross. He died for the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. He was buried. On the third day, the Bible says he rose again. And then he just didn't hang around here on earth. After a period of time, he went back to heaven. That's his ascension. That was his first coming. After Christ went back to heaven, he left his disciples here. They established the New Testament church, as we know the church age. That's what the time we live in right now. It's called the church age. We don't know how long it is. We have no idea. 
The Old Testament prophets didn't even see it. They overlooked it. That's why Paul calls it a mystery. Well, how is the church age going to end? The church age is going to end with what we, the Scripture teach in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and other places called the rapture, the taking away of the church. So for a period of time on earth, you're going to have the church here, Christians on earth, and then there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to come back, and the Bible says that we're going, he's going to come in the clouds. And the people who are following Christ, the people who are believers, are going to meet him in the air. So he doesn't physically come to earth. He doesn't touch his body to the earth. That's why that's not his second coming. That's called the rapture, or the catching up of believers. You have the resurrection of the the believers who have died. You have the believers that are alive. And they all go to be with Christ in the air. That begins a time sometime thereafter. We don't know exactly when. But a seven-year period on earth, which is called the tribulation. Now remember, during these seven years, the church is not here. God has removed his influence of the church and of the spirit. And so sin is just going crazy. You think it's bad now out there. Just imagine without any kind of Christian influence on the earth today. Well, it's going to be that ten times worse. And so during that seven-year period, God is unleashing his wrath on an unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world. And that's known as the tribulation. Those seven years are divided in half. Three and a half years for the first half, three and a half years for the second half. What divides, those three, what divides those seven years into two segments? At the beginning of the tribulation, everybody is going to be looking for somebody to come along and to give them peace. Because they're just going to be riding in the street. It's going to be horrible. You think the, uh, you know, the, the, the movement now that's Occupy movement, you, know, you think some of that's bad. That's nothing compared to what you're going to see in the tribulation. Because remember, God's influence is kind of removed from the earth. And so what happens that first three and a half years, and we looked at this the last time we were together, Jesus tells his disciples there's going to be certain pains, birth pains, he calls them, that you can notice, certain signs of my coming in the end, in this future time. And the first one was worldwide deception. And we talked about how out of all these false Christs that the Scripture speaks of, in verse 5, Matthew 24, it says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Out of all those people who are calling themselves Christ, one arises out of that called the Antichrist. And he basically puts them all to shame. And he is the one that has the power, not through a sword, but through peace. And he promises world peace. It's kind of funny, a couple weeks ago we were watching the Super Bowl, and my phone began to go off at the end of the halftime show, because I just got done preaching on there's going to be a point in time where the world is just all about peace, peace, peace. That's all they want. Even now it's that way. And if you watch the Super Bowl halftime show at the end of all the Madonna antics that went on, the graphic on the screen, as the, from the blimp, it showed what? World peace. I thought, wow. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Well, they're going to be clamoring for peace even more during this time. This Antichrist is going to be raised up 
And basically, people are going to be deceived into following him. Even Israel. Israel is even going to look to him for protection, and they're going to sign a pact with him. They're going to sign a treaty with him. And then he's going to say for the first three and a half years, yeah, go ahead, do your temple stuff, worship, I don't care. Well, what divides those seven years into two segments is when that Antichrist, that false Christ, that peaceful individual marches into the temple, desecrates the temple, declares himself to be God, literally, and demands that all worship him. And at that point in time, it's almost too late because people are deceived to the point where that's exactly what they do. And if they don't, they get their head cut off. It's end of the line. They're persecuted. And so after he does that, then God really unleashes his wrath on the earth. The second half of that seven-year period, the three and a half years after that, it's called the Great Tribulation. What ends that is when Jesus Christ comes back with his church. Remember, we're with him in heaven. We're not down here during that seven-year period. Praise God. Some people believe that they are. Some people want to believe, no, no, the rapture doesn't happen there. The rapture happens in the middle. Or there, there is no rapture, and you've got to go through the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, I look at Noah and the ark and how God always protects his people. I'm a, I'm a pre-trib rapturist. In other words, I believe that we're out of here before the tribulation begins. If you want to believe it otherwise, hey, fine, go ahead. I'm not looking forward to going through the tribulation personally, so I'm looking for the Lord to come back in the clouds and catch me away, and I'm waiting for that every day. That's called our blessed hope. I mean, what hope would we have if if all we had to look forward to was seven years of God judging the earth that we live in? So after he desecrates the temple, the great tribulation starts, the second three and a half years. That's ended when Christ comes back physically to earth, the Bible says, on the Mount of Olives with the church, and he begins his rule and reign on earth, called the millennium, a thousand-year rule and reign on earth. That is ended basically with the the great judgment, and then we enter into the eternal state. That's just a, a real rough overview of where we're going with all this. Now, remember, in Jewish eschatology, they didn't see the church age. They had no idea the church even existed. So they overlooked that whole thing. They thought when Jesus said, hey, I'm coming, they thought, are you coming next Tuesday? Are you coming next Wednesday? When is this actually going to happen? They were thinking present right now. That's why they were always looking for Jesus to overthrow the Romans. That's why they were always looking for Jesus to, you know, when he said, hey, I'm going to go and die, that just didn't compute to them. They thought, wait a minute, no, you're, you're supposed to take over. That's why we're following you. So he was on a whole different timeline. Now, I want to read for us out of Matthew 24, and I just want to begin in verse 3, and I'll just read down to verse 8. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time here, and then we're going to, we've got to go over to Revelation and just give you an overview of that book because it runs parallel to what we're looking at here. So Revela- or Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, saying, "No one See that no one lead you astray. Here's the first birth pain, the first sign. Don't be led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and, and they will lead many astray. 
And here's the second one, and we'll look at this today. Verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning, notice that, of birth pains. Just the beginning. It's going to get worse, folks. For the people that live during that time, I would not want to be one of them. It's not going to be a happy place here on earth. It's just going to be horrible. It's going to be worse than you could ever even imagine. Now, as we prepare to look at these verses here in Matthew, we have to. And you may say, well, boy, it seems like you're jumping all over the place here. We have to look at Revelation. We have to give you just kind of an overview of the book of Revelation because it runs parallel to what we're studying right here in Matthew. The sermon that Jesus is teaching here, these birth pains, many false Christs will come, rumors of war, all these other things, political, you know, military disputes, all this stuff runs parallel to what is actually supported and said in Jesus' revelation to John over in the book of Revelation. A lot of people think of the book of Revelation and they say, oh, that's a horrible, I, I couldn't read that book. Boy, that's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I would never understand it. You know, it's the one book in the Bible that promises if you read it, you'll be blessed. And if you read the, the book of Revelation, you're going to understand more fully what's going to be happening in the future. And when you break it down... There's a lot of symbolism in there, and to be honest with you, I don't get some of it, and you can read commentaries on all the symbolism, and they all mean different things. Don't get caught up in the minutiae. Look at the, the broader view of the book as you start out. And just in way of it, giving you a rough outline of the book of Revelation, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. Okay, I hear people say sometimes, oh, turn over to Revelations 5, whatever. It's like, no, it's not plural. There's only one revelation. It's the revelation that Jesus Christ gave. That's what he says in Revelation chapter 1. It says, the revelation, verse 1, of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. Things that soon must take place. If you look at verse 19, it outlines the whole book for us. Literally, it outlines the whole book of Revelation. Real simple. Jesus Christ tells John, here's what I want you to do, John. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, things of the past, those that are, things are present, and those which are to come after this, things that are future. So if you want a real simple outline for the book of Revelation, chapter 1 is the things that you have seen. Chapters 2 and 3 deals with the present time here. He's writing a letter to the seven churches, encouraging them, warning them. And then from chapter 4 on, deals with basically the tribulation time, future things, things to come. Now, it's important that we understand this because when we talk about, back in Matthew, things like, there's going to one, be one that rises up and there's going to be worldwide deception. Well, Revelation speaks to that. And I want you to turn over 
to Revelation chapter 6 with me. Chapters 1 and 3 contain those, 1 to 3 contain those letters to the seven churches, kind of an introductory stuff, and then it gives the letters, warnings to the churches. Chapters 4 and 5 describe the praise offered in heaven. It's kind of a heavenly scene there. To God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they're looking for someone to open up this seal, a title deed it is to the earth. Because remember, when sin entered into this earth, when man was born, God, when man was created, God told him to what? Rule. Take dominion over the earth. Well, as soon as he sinned, he lost that. And who took it? Satan. What do we call Satan? The prince of what? The air, right? The prince of the air. That's what he is. You know, he's, he's basically running things down here right now. Under God's sovereign hand, he's letting Satan do these things. That's why we see so much chaos and sin running amok. Because God's saying, hey, for this time, you know what? Have at it, pal. You'll get yours, but right now, this is your little playground. Go ahead. And so, in verses, in chapters 4 and 5, in heaven, they're looking for somebody to open up this scroll, and there's only one that's worthy, and we know who that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5, 1 to 7, Christ received from God the Father a scroll sealed with seven seals. They used to seal things back then, like you would now, kind of like if you got a, a uh, subpoena or something like that. You know, it's sealed, so nobody can mess with it. Well, that's what they do back there. And so this thing was sealed with seven seals. And each seal represents a judgment from God upon the earth in this future time during the tribulation. So beginning in verse or in chapter 6, this scroll is unrolled and the seals are beginning to be broken. And with each seal that's broken, there's kind of a new judgment, you might say, that's put out on the earth by God's wrath and his judgment on sinful mankind, those who have rejected the Messiah. I know this is, this is difficult to get your head around, but you just got to really kind of bear with me here as we go through this, and hopefully it will gel. <laughs> hopefully it will make some sense. In the, in the book of Revelation, all right, there's seven seals. Can you put that uh, graphic up there? There's seven seals. Okay, this all happens during the tribulation time. We're going to be looking at the first four seals. The first seal was what? Worldwide peace, right? A deception of worldwide peace. Worldwide deception. The second one, the second seal is rumors of wars. And then we'll look at the other ones in the time to come. Go back, go back to that graphic. So, as these seals are undone, this judgment is being unleashed in the first half of the tribulation. The seventh seal, the Bible says, actually opens up a whole other envelope, you might say, of judgments. And they are called trumpet judgments. And the Bible tells us all about those. And then the seventh trumpet judgment is kind of like you're opening up another envelope and Four more, or seven more judgments are poured out, and they're called bold judgments or vile judgments. 
And these are happening progressively. Everything's getting worse throughout this seven-year period. And it's all reaching up to basically a final climax when Christ comes back with his church and defeats the Antichrist and Satan and the whole deal and rules and reigns for a thousand years. Okay, so it's kind of a... Do you ever see those little things that uh, they fit inside, those little boxes or eggs, and you keep on taking them out, and there's another one in there? That's kind of what this is. You just keep on going and going. It's getting worse, and it's getting worse. God's wrath is being poured out more and more upon the earth. Now, the first seal is spoken of in chapter 6 of Revelation. So we're just going to work our way through the first couple seals here so we can kind of understand what's what's happening so it says in in revelation 6 1 now i watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals i heard one of the four living creatures i I don't have the slightest idea what these living creatures are there's a lot of people that say oh they're this they're that i don't know i heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder come and i looked and behold we talked about this last time a white horse Remember, this is the Antichrist. This is the deception we were talking about. That he rises up not by the power of the sword, but by peaceful means. And here's how it describes it. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Okay? So that's the first horse. There's four horses here of the apocalypse. These first four seals deal with four horses, kind of an illustration for the, for the judgment. The second one, he says in verse um, 3 and 4, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out, of another, out came another horse, bright red. All right, so this is a red horse. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Well, if, you had, if that rider is going to be able to take peace from the earth, what existed before? Peace. All right? This Antichrist basically got everybody under his deceptive power, and he thought, oh, peace, peace, yeah, yeah, he's going to give us peace. And they all signed on to this deal until the middle of the tribulation when he says, okay, now I'm God and you've got to worship me. I'm done with the peace deal. Well, that's when this starts. The rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. That's the second seal. Third seal. When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pail of scales in its hand. Well, what does that mean? Famine. Famine. There's going to be worldwide famine during this time. And then it goes on there, and it says, uh, And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius. That's a day's wage, basically. Uh, Three quarts of barley. Wheat's a little more better for you than barley. That's why barley's a little cheaper. All right? It's not saying that it's not available. All right, But when you stop and you think of the implications of the economic situation, just think of it now. You go and you buy a loaf of bread. You know, compare that to 20 years ago when you went to the store and bought a loaf of bread. 
You know, I mean, you'd probably faint if, if it was that. Or a gallon of gasoline. All right? I mean, you know, this summer it may creep up to five, six dollars a gallon, they're saying. I mean, we can't even conceive that right now. But right now it's right around four. You know, it's, 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 it's on its way up. Well, during this time, it's going to be ten times worse. So it doesn't mean that this stuff may not be available, but it's, it's going to be impossible to buy it. It says, don't harm the oil in the wine. In other words, you, you probably can't even you know, afford that. You just got to get your, your wheat and your barley. And then it says in verse 7, he opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the living, fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was what? Death. And hell and Hades followed him. And they were given, look at this, the authority over a fourth of the earth. A fourth of the world's population with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with the wild beasts of the earth basically dies. That's a lot of people, folks. I mean, you understand where this is not getting any better. You're probably understanding why I'd like the pre-trib rapture thing. You know, I'd like to be out of here before all this goes. And that's what I believe Scripture teaches, by the way, as well. And then it goes on in verse 9. And he opened a fifth seal, and I saw the altar of those souls who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are people during the tribulation who, when the Antichrist says, you know what, bow down to me and worship me, they say no. They say no. I'm going to follow Christ now. I see how this thing's outplayed, played out here. And they're martyred for their faith. And this is a picture of these souls who've been martyred in heaven and they're, they're asking God, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In other words, how long is this going to go on? I mean, there's just going to be mass slaughter of anyone who does not follow the Antichrist during this time. Verse 11 says, And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. See, even though the Antichrist is just wreaking havoc on earth, who's still ultimately in control? God. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter what you've gone through. Doesn't matter what you're going to go through. I hope and I pray that you believe and, and trust in a sovereign God. I mean, what kind of God would it be if, you know, when you go to the doctor and you get that, that bad test reading? Doesn't look good. I mean, how are you going to react if you don't believe God is sovereign? I don't know about you, but I'd be shaking my fist at God. Come on, God, do something. What, what, what are you sleeping up there? What's going on? But if you believe God is sovereign, if you believe as a child of God, he watches over everything in your life. You know why? You take it in stride. Doesn't mean you don't worry a little bit. Doesn't mean it doesn't feel good. Oh, man, I wish I had a better reading on that, you know. My brother Tom, he's got... Spinal cancer. He's got cancer all in his body, but he's right now it's spinal cancer. 
and he's dealing with a lot of pain. And he went back to the doctor and, you know, he said, well, you just need to take more of the morphine. And my brother said, well, the pain is going down my back and now it's in my leg. And if you ever met my brother, Tom, he joined the Marine Corps when he was 17. Okay, he's a little short guy, but you don't want to mess with him. Okay, he's always worked two, three, four jobs. He's a farmer, auto mechanic. I mean, he's just a tough individual. And he told the doctor, he said, well, don't you want to take a CAT scan or something? See what's going on? Why am I just take more morphine? Well, you don't want to know. He goes, there's nothing we can do for you. You're not being treated. There's nothing you can do. If we gave you chemo at this point, it'd kill you. And it would ruin your your quality of life. So at that point, my brother has an opportunity to either say, okay, God, this is what you have for me. I'm going to come see you a little bit sooner than maybe what I anticipated. But, or he could get angry and get bitter. And I thank God that he has his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he can take this in stride. He's been selling all his farm equipment. He's been selling all his stuff. You know, just over a period of time, that's just the kind of guy he is. He's got everything, just, you know, taking care of his wife and his kids, and everything's going to be, you know, he even, he even had plans to build his own casket, for goodness sake. He ordered a kit online. He was going to do it. Literally, he was going to do it. It was going to be legal and everything. He just never, he got sick, too sick before he could do it. But that's just the kind of individual he is. See, this kind of situation that we're talking about, it's going to be bad. And, you know, maybe bad things are happening in your life right now. And you think, oh, things are out of control. Things are never out of control when it comes to God. And that's what this says. It talks of the sovereignty of God. And it says on, in verse 12 there, Revelation 6, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. Notice it doesn't say there was earthquakes. It says there was a great earthquake. How many of you have ever been in a great earthquake? All right. We've been in some pretty big earthquakes here, right? Nothing. It's nothing compared to this sucker. Because this thing is going to be felt around the world. You know, I have a little app on my iPhone. It's called Earthquake. And every time an earthquake happens anywhere in the world... Pops up on my phone. Literally. It could be Turkey. It could be Japan. It could be wherever. Tells me the magnitude. Tells me what. It even has a little tsunami warning thing. Goes along with it. Pretty cool little application. This is going to be one giant earthquake that literally is bigger than anything we've ever felt or seen. And then it goes on and it says the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Have you ever been under a fig tree and one falls off? Doesn't feel too good. These are going to be some kind of meteorites coming out of the sky. I mean, we see them once in a while now. It's not going to be any. I mean, this is just going to be tenfold, hundredfold. It says in verse 14, The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Might want to rethink that trip to Maui. 
Okay, it's literally changing the surface of the earth. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Wow. What a picture of God's coming judgment. I mean, as that approaches, can you imagine living during that time, being here during that time? Well, those first four seals that we talked about go back to Matthew 24. Because that's exactly what Jesus is unfolding for us here. And the first one that we looked at last couple weeks ago was widespread deception. We've talked about that. All these Christs have rise up. The, the Antichrist will rise up above them all. Today, look at verse 6 and 7. Matthew 24. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Remember, this is the second birth pain. When a woman, a woman is giving birth to a child, those birth pains, what are they? They grow in intensity, right? And they grow in... Uh, uh, so what am I for? More and more, they, they grow closer together. Okay? I don't know what I'm trying to say. So, you know, they, they, they just increase. Okay? And that's what he's saying here. So the second one is this political and military disputes in the world. Now remember, this is not now. We're not talking about what's going on now in the world. We're talking about in the tribulation time. Now you can maybe draw some parallels but it's going to be so much worse. As a matter of fact, you notice there in verse 6 it says, and you will hear. Okay, in the original language, that whole makeup of that, that phrase of words is called a future durative. And what that means is basically, you're not just going to hear it once. You're going to hear it over and over and over and over. Rumors of war every 24-7. You know, you're just going to hear it continually. And it's not going to stop. It's just going to continue to build. And look at what, in God's grace, what he does. You're not only going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but he puts in there a little, a little reminder for those people who are living during this time, during the tribulation time. He tells them, hey, don't be troubled. Look what it says in, in verse 6. Don't be alarmed. See that you're not alarmed. Why wouldn't you be alarmed? He gives them the reason for not panicking. He says, for this must take place because the end is not yet. In other words, our sovereign God is going to unfold His judgment and it's going to happen His way in His time. And you can look at any one of these things and go, oh, that's not... But you know what? God's not done. It's going to continue to unfold. And so these political and military disputes are going to be just unparalleled. Nothing like we've ever even seen before. I mean, you know, it's funny because you hear people even today, you know, with the news and, oh, you know, wars and rumors of wars. And, you know, they kind of say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. It's not talking about our time right now, beloved. It's talking about this time in the future. And it's going to be a hundredfold worse. Everybody's going to be fighting and warring against each, each other. As a matter of fact, 
Look at what verse 7 says. It says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You're going to have nations rising against nations, kingdom against kingdom. What's the difference? Well, a nation is kind of like a country. You might say a kingdom is a conglomeration of countries. Like the European Union or the Soviet Union. Remember when they had all those little countries part of their thing? That's what a, a kingdom is. Or you could say a kingdom has a king. I, you know, a nation just whatever. But the idea here is that all these people are just going to be warring. There's just going to be factions, warring, massive war all over the place. And when you stop and you, you think of, of, of that kind of environment, I mean, I forget, somebody did a study of all the time that man has been alive. You know, there's been like less than 200 years of peace. You know, we have periods of peace here and there. But when it comes to this point in time in history, beloved, trust me, the Bible says that war is just going to be commonplace. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Look back at uh, Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter uh, 11. Daniel chapter 11. This gives you just a little glimpse. Now, Daniel's a prophet, and remember, he doesn't see the church age, but he's overlooking that, and he's looking at the end times. He's looking at the same thing. Matthew 24 is looking at the same thing. Revelation chapter 6 and such is looking at. But he's just looking at it through the eyes of a prophet. God has given him the ability to record this. Look at what it says, Daniel 11, verse 40. Just to give you an idea of what kind of warring is going to be going on at that time. Before that, it talks, in the paragraph before that, it talks about that, that, that Antichrist who's going to do whatever he wants and, and kind of raise himself up. And then in verse 40, it says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. All right? So people are kind of getting fed up with what's going on. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land. What's the glorious land? Israel. And tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom, Moab, in the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all of the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. In other words, you have some kind of army coming up from maybe Africa or the south somewhere, and then you have an army coming from the north, and they're, they're converging on this world leader, this Antichrist, right in Israel. Because <laughs> that's where he set up his, 
his base. And then it says in verse 44, But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and to devout many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Once again, he's right there in Israel. And at the end there it says, Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. But, I mean, we think we got war going on now. You know, you got some stuff going on in the Middle East. I mean, think of just the, the entire regions of the world converging and fighting and warring. That's exactly what is going to happen. And that's what this, this red horse depicts in Revelation. Well, that's not the only birth pain. We have widespread deception, we have the political and military disputes, but we also, thirdly, have serious disasters occurring around the world. Look at what it says back in Matthew 24, verse 7. It says, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. You say, well, that's happening now. This is going to be so much worse. So much worse. You think our economic crisis is a bad situation? It doesn't even hold a candle to this. Things are going to turn and go south real quick. Think about it. You're living during a period of time where all the goodwill of the Christians and the church is taken off the earth. Do you understand that? There's, there's you know, charity and all that. I mean, who does that stuff? Mostly Christian organizations. That's all going to be gone. And the Antichrist is just going to be ruling and reigning with an iron fist and just slaughtering people if they don't bow down and worship him. Economic crisis, the physical conditions that will take place. I mean, there's going to be diminishing food supplies. Uh, the physical conditions are going to be deteriorating. Revelation 16 says there's going to be pestilences. Did you know in 1950, there were basically two plagues? In the day and age we live in today, there's almost 100. There's 120 new viruses. I mean, there's stuff coming on board all the time in this area. The physical conditions are deteriorating. Now, you know, the, the people who are all into the environment and everything think, well, we're the problem, whatever. Trust me, we're not the problem. We're not the problem. Don't buy into the lie, beloved, that, you know, we're here to worship this earth. <laughs> this earth is going to one day be burnt up. That's what Jesus Christ says. Matter of fact, that's what I tell the folks that come by my house and want me to sign the petition to protect the trees or the owl or whatever. I say, you know what? <laughs> Thanks, but you know, I know your agenda and it's well-meaning and everything, but um, if you think that we're messing up this earth, wait till Jesus Christ gets done with it because it's not even going to be around. And they just look, what do you mean? Well, it says he's going to come back and, and judge it with fire and brimstone. I mean, you know, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, we're here to use up the resources that we have. Not in an irresponsible way. I'm not saying do it irresponsibly. But 
for, for whatever reason, people have taken this to the nth degree now to the point where you, you, you can't even you know, light a fire in your fireplace. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Not getting political, but it's ridiculous. Okay. We should take care of the earth. We should protect it. We should do the best we can. But let's not go bonkers with it. We're not called to worship it. So you have the economic crisis. You have the physical conditions deteriorating during that time. Then you also have just geological catastrophes happening. Earthquakes happening in unexpected places. I mean, that, that's happening a little bit now, here and there. But you know what? It's not going to be anything of things to come. But look at verse 8. Because I, I just want you to understand that as bad as that's going to be, verse 8 tells us this, all these things are but the what? The beginning of these birth pains. Just the beginning. We're just scratching the surface. Now, I don't know about you, but I would surely want to be prepared physically, emotionally, and spiritually if something like this were to come down the pike. (laughs) You know, beloved, we don't know the day nor the hour when Christ will return. The Bible says we don't know. It could be right now. It could be 100 years from now. We don't know. All I can tell you, you know what? I read the news. I look at the news on the internet, read it in the newspaper, and I look at my Bible. I'm going, man, this is, it's almost lining up parallel. There's a lot of things happening. You think of the EU. You think of the, you know, the whole world order mentality. One world currency. All this stuff the Bible predicts, and it's, it's, it's going to happen. I pray and I trust. You know, the message you take away from this is not one of fear. The Bible says that we have a blessed hope. Amen? We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back for those who love Him, who have committed their way to Him, who have trusted in Him for their forgiveness of their sins. That's the only hope we have. I asked you this morning, have you trusted in Christ Have you reached out to him and you said, hey, God, I know I'm a sinner. I mean, it doesn't take long to figure that out. And I need your forgiveness. I need to acknowledge my sin before you. I need to cry out to you, a holy God, and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I I want my sins forgiven. I want to choose today to follow you, Jesus. Not my own agenda, not my own plan. I'm going to bow my knee to you as Lord and Savior. See, that's the key. That that will help you be ready when these things, when the, the wheels start to fall off the cart. Fear doesn't have to set in. And it doesn't have to be just talking about these future events, beloved. You know what? We're all going to die one day. We're all going to go to the doctor one day and he's going to say, hey, you know what? It doesn't look good. It just doesn't look good. I pray you'll be ready for that day. The only way you can be ready is by putting your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you would do that even today.
the quietness of this moment. Father, we, we cry out to you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that even though some of this stuff is a little tough to digest, it's a little hard to understand, Father, your word is your word. It says what it says. We can't take it and twist it and try to make it mean something it doesn't mean. Lord, there's going to come a time on this earth where there's going to be a whole lot of people in a world of hurt. And Father, we live now in in the age of grace. We thank you, Lord, that when you came as that baby in that manger and you grew up into a man and you went to that cross and you died for the sins of those who would put their faith and trust in you. You did that out of love for us. You did that because you're a gracious, loving God. And your first coming was all about grace. All about allowing us to taste that forgiveness for our sin. We just need to cry out to you. Repent of our sins. Turn from our sins and turn to you, a holy God. And ask you to fill us with your spirit. And help us to live the kind of life that you want us to live that would be honoring to you and your son. Because, Lord, your word says the second time you're coming back, the second time you come and you put your foot on this earth, it's not going to be as the Savior. It's going to be as a judge. And you will set things in their right place. And Father, we pray that we would make wise use of the information we have available to us now and make the right decision that we could know that we will be with you in eternity, not cast into a place called hell of utter darkness, gnashing of teeth, a place where torment never ends. Father, I pray that we would take advantage of this age of grace in which we live. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.